Good morning. My name is Holly Postma, and I'm going to do the scripture reading this morning from Psalm 20. So if you would like to turn in your Bibles, or you can use the screens behind me, I'll be reading Psalm 20, verses 1 through 9 from the New American Standard Bible. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offering acceptable. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord. May the king answer us in the day we call. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. And the title of the sermon today is Bless You. And I'd like us to think about what a blessing is. What does it mean to bless someone? What is it? Why do we seek it so badly? How do we give it and receive it? We're in the Psalms uh, this summer, and the one we're looking at today is written by the King David. He's probably the most favored Jewish king. And this uh, psalm or song or poem or chant or prayer, depending on which psalm, uh, this one was written to be a sort of a chant that was spoken out loud to each other. And you can see this in the description of the Psalms. So this one was written to be spoken out loud to each other. And it was a way to prepare each other, the community, for battle. This is war cry. This is a blessing people spoke or sang or chanted to one another right before they went into battle. And part of, part of the application for us is that life is comprised of many battles. It's constant, it's unexpected, it's painful, uh, it's wounding. It's what the psalmist here calls the day of trouble. How many of you ever had a day of trouble before in your life? Yeah, it happens. Just this week, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, one diagnosis, one exam, life turned inside out. Absolutely surprising. And all of us are vulnerable to this. And so as a way to battle the day of trouble, we battle it with a blessing. We seek blessing, sort of the cover of blessing. We recognize how vulnerable we are. We recognize how surprising life is, how small we are. I've been getting into stand-up paddleboarding uh, this summer. I've been at it for two weeks. 
gone almost every day for two weeks because I'm a sprinter, so I like to go fast and hard in the beginning. And I paddled to the bridge, uh, uh, the I-90 bridge right off of the uh, West Mercer Way. And it just looks like a normal bridge, but when you paddle up right under it, you feel so small. It is amazing, the human feet, the engineering that went into that bridge. And I felt my own smallness. I also did two hikes on Mount Rainier uh, this summer. Against the elements, I am absolutely nothing. You look at it from afar, it looks beautiful, it looks pretty. Many of you comment on it regularly, I'm sure, as you drive around Seattle land. But then when you're at the foot of it, when you're up against it, you realize just how small you are. And that's sort of the sentiment here, that life's battles are large, and you are small. Very, very small. And as a way to navigate these battles, we pray for blessing. We speak blessing over one another. I think life is a pursuit of blessing from each other, from authority figures, from the universe itself. We want that nod of recognition or approval or banner of success and security flying over ourselves and our lives. We want that as one way to think about what life is. Three points today. First, see. Second, stay. And third, I mean, see, say, and stay. By the way, that image you see behind me, do you know which planet the Earth is? It's that tiny little one. Third from your right, your left. How small that is. Okay, the first point, C. We'll begin with verse 1. The word bless is not in this, in this psalm, but the psalmist mentions the God of Jacob. Now, who was Jacob? He was the guy whose name was changed to Israel after he wrestled with God. And why was he wrestling with God? He risked his life for a blessing. He wrestled with God all night, and at the end of that match, he said, I want you to bless me. And this is sort of the theme in this guy Jacob's life. He wanted a blessing from dad, and he wasn't going to get it because uh, the old Hebrew culture practiced what's called primogeniture. The oldest son got the blessing, got the portion of the inheritance, uh, but he wanted it even though he was the second son. So he wrestled with dad for it. He schemed with mom. He conned his brother Esau. He broke up his family. He was estranged from his family. He fled for his life. Why? All for a blessing. For a blessing. This psalm is a blessing that people prayed for each other right before battle. It's a way to confront trouble with blessing. What's the difference between trouble and blessing? Trouble is something that's bad. It's difficult. Tragic things happening. There's loss and chaos pain and destruction, but a blessing, on the other hand, is good. It's helpful. It's timely. It's fortunate things happening rather than tragic things happening. There's gain. There is joy. There's rest. And there's hope for the future. 
you realize if you find yourself seeking a blessing, there is a way that you are at this breaking point where you're willing to accept indictment over yourself. Because at the heart of what a blessing is, is it's an acknowledgement that you are not strong, that you are not competent, that you need help, you need luck, you need mercy, you need grace, you need serendipity in your life, you need something or someone bigger and better than you to somehow be in control and help you. So when you find yourself asking for a blessing, when you feel you need some sort of quote-unquote luck in your life, you're already at a point where you're able to confess that you yourself can't do it. You're just not quite smart enough or strong enough. You need help. And so we see this in verse 2. We have the word help, support. In verse 3, we have uh, the psalmist pleading to God to remember and to regard. Verse 4, he mentions that he has desires and plans and hopes and needs. Verse 5, he's asking for. Knowing that he can't work for, he's asking for joy and victory and the fulfilling of his petitions. That's, he's simply asking, hoping he can just receive without having to work for it. There's a real kind of humility in a request for blessing. I want to define what a blessing is for us. In the midst of battle and chaos, the psalmist is able to discern how things are, but how things ought to be. He's saying, I know this is what's happening right now, but in my mind's eye, I can see something that's better than how things are. And that's what I'm asking for. There is something ugly that's happening in my life, but I need something beautiful. I know beauty is possible. I know good is possible. I know there are lies that are being played out right now, but I know there's such a thing as truth. And I want that. I'm asking for that. Lord, give that to me. A request for a blessing begins with a picture of the, of the biblical ideal. In the midst of your diagnosis, in the midst of your relational conflict, in the midst of employment loss or financial reversal, in the midst of health crises, you are able to discern, say, I know how things are, but I know how things ought to be. I know how things are supposed to be. And as you begin to see that, and you find yourself desiring that, wanting that, needing that, that's the beginning of you beginning to acknowledge that you can't get there by yourself and you need a blessing over your life and into your life. Let me ask the question, is there such a thing as a biblical ideal? Is there such a thing as improvement in your life? Is there such a thing as something that's more beautiful or better, truer, 
Of course there is. Is there a way that your marriage could improve? Have you been able to get there on your own? Do you need a force bigger and greater than you to break into that, to help you actualize the picture you see in your mind of how a marriage could be? Or do you have a picture? Is it possible for your children to do better than they are now? Is it possible for your health to be better? Is it possible for this country to be better? Is it better for your work situation to improve? Is it? Is there an ideal that you're able to picture, envision for yourself and for your world? For those you love, for those you care about. You're beginning to understand what a blessing is. A blessing is this tension you feel. begins with this tension you feel of how things are, but really how things ought to be. And you begin to see that picture. I got an um, email from my favorite comedian, maybe America's favorite comedian. Uh, don't look him up because he's quite crass. You have to put on very good Christian filters to appreciate him. Uh, he's Louis C.K., but not a personal email. He sent an email to his fans, and he says this, and I want to quote him in specific because I want to show you that you don't have to be a Christian or a religious person to feel this tension and need for a blessing in one's life. He says this, There isn't much else to say. I'm having a pretty nice summer, and I hope you are too. I feel pretty good about the planet, the country, and my immediate surroundings, even though a lot of things are a huge mess all over the world. It may be selfish or naive or even callous to feel pretty good ever about anything when anyone anywhere is having a bad time, and there sure are a lot of anyone's everywhere having a bad time. But then again, if you are upset all the time, because something bad is happening every second, then, I mean, take it easy. I hope all of you are having a good summer. I hope you're all relatively okay or better. I hope that nobody shoots anybody today. What are the odds of that? Low. But I hope it. Take care, Louis. What's he doing? As a secular person, he sees the world the way it is. And in his heart, in his mind's eye, He's able to picture a world that's better. Picture a world where a shooting isn't happening today. And he's hoping that. He's saying it. And he wants that for himself and for the world. A blessing then begins with a vision of the biblical ideal. How should things be? And I want to tell you, you're allowed to have an opinion. I know it feels like you're not allowed to have an opinion anymore, except for the opinion that you shouldn't have opinions in case it's offensive. That's our culture of tolerance. But that itself is an opinion, isn't it? That you shouldn't have one. There is such a thing as the biblical ideal for you and for your loved ones and for your world. And it's okay to desire that in your heart for yourself or for others. It's okay to see into a circumstance and say, it shouldn't be that way. It should be like this instead. It's okay to say should. It's okay to say ought. 
You live in a certain kind of world, but it shouldn't be that way. The world, the li- your life, my life, it's all battle, but it shouldn't be that way. There should be peace. Moms, what's your job as a mom? It's to speak the shoulds and oughts over your children. It's to have a vision for who they should be, how they ought to behave, what their world is supposed to be like. Your job is to see that and help them see it too. Your job is to want that and help them want it too. Dads, what's your job? It's to have a vision of the biblical ideal over your family, over your world, over the society and culture in which you reside. Teachers, what's your job? Your job is to see a picture of the biblical ideal. Friends, if you have friends, if you are a true friend, if you're an actual friend, what's your job as a friend? To just be like, you're awesome no matter what? No. It's to have a vision of how things ought to be. It's to be able to see your friends and say, you know, I love you, but I see a better version of you. I know how you are, but I also know how you ought to be. I know who you should be. Spouses, what's your job? It's to have a vision. Leaders, what's your job? It's to have a vision of the biblical ideal. Doctors, what's your job? To have a vision of the biblical ideal of how the body is supposed to function. You have a standard to which you are trying to catalyze your patients towards. Okay, you're getting the pattern here. Engineers, what's your job? To have a vision of the biblical ideal. Pilots, architects, dancers, tutors, chefs, servants. What's your job? It's to understand and see in your mind's eye how things ought to be, ought, should be. See it. Things are like this now, but it shouldn't be. Second, say. We don't just see the vision of how things ought to be, but we are also called to say it. I understand my job as a preacher to stand behind this pulpit and to publicly proclaim the biblical ideal. And we as a church, our job, why we exist as a church community, why we gather, why we rub shoulders, why we have conversation, is not just so we can be avoidant with each other. It's not just so we can affirm things all the time. It's not just so we can feel good about each other by turning a blind eye to each other's lives. Folks, we are in battle We have to stand shoulder to shoulder and be able to not just see how things ought to be, not just to see greater wisdom, but also to speak it. Verse 1 through 5, these are the blessings. May the Lord, verse 2, may he, verse 3, may he, verse 4, may he. 
5. We will sing for joy over your victory. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. The thing I want you to notice that you won't notice here, if I, unless I point it out, I think, is that verse 1 has the uh, word you, which is second person. Verse 6 has the word I, which is the first person. And it has the word him, which is the third person. And verse 7, which is not up on the screen, has our, which is the plural first person. And the psalmist moves freely back and forth between all three persons. And if you did a grammatical analysis of this psalm, you would notice that it's not correct. Because he moves too freely between these three persons. Part of that is he's describing a collective. And as Americans, we have a more individualistic culture that doesn't know how to quite translate this kind of fluidity fluidity in uh, first, second, and third person. But in the Hebrew, it's clear that he's describing a community, a tribe, a people gathered, formed for one purpose. That's verse 5, the banner. It's implying unity and strength in numbers only if these numbers are united under one banner. If you have numbers but you're not united, you're actually weaker, you're not stronger. I learned this the hard way at yesterday's picnic when we were losing the tug of war. Did you know you had to sort of pull at the same time? Or you're not quite as strong as the team that is pulling at the same time. Numbers don't count. Numbers united count. One vision. How do you get there? Well, you speak to each other about the oughts and the shoulds. You choose to speak the truth into each other's lives. I know we have, we're a historically uh, Scandinavian church. It means that we are quite nosy and we know everything about each other, but we don't speak it to each other. We get all that information indirectly. That's how we do here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm from New York. I can feel this. I get criticized, criticized for this on a regular basis. One of the main functions of a church is to bless each other. Blessing isn't just a soft, have a nice day. It's listen, I want you to have a nice day, but you're not going to today unless. I want you to have a great life. I want you to have strong character. I want you to be able to weather the battles and storms of life. But here's how you're screwing up now. American Idol, I will never forget William Hung. Anybody remember William Hung? He was terrible. He became famous for being terrible. And it's like everybody was in on the joke except him. And all of America laughed at his expense. You know why? Because he didn't have any real friends. Nobody told him that he was terrible. He wasn't American Idol. He was an American fool. Where were his friends? Isn't that like the church? I feel that way about the church. How can you have gone through the church for 20 years and you're still that way? How have you gotten away with it for so long? Where's the feedback loop? Why? is nobody blessing each other the way we are meant to bless each other. Blessing begins with a biblical vision of the ideal, how you ought to be. 
And we all know how we ought to be. We know this. Even if our culture of tolerance doesn't allow it, we know the oughts and the shoulds. Romans 1 and 2 tells you that even if you have no idea, even if you've never ever believed in God, creation itself tells you how things ought to be, how things were meant to be. You know this. You know this. This is the banner. Together, many in number, but strong because we're united. And the only way this banner is formed is if we are willing to not just see, but also to say. When have you last spoken the truth to someone? When have you spoken a vision of the good biblical ideal to someone? A fellow person who was in trouble, not out of your arrogance, but out of your vulnerability, knowing that you are also vulnerable. And you are also under this indictment of fallen human nature. Out of a spirit of acknowledging that unless we do this together, we are not going to make it. When is the last time you have done that? And lastly, stay. Not just see and not just say, but stay. Verse 6 says, now I know. And this little phrase expresses tension, the tension of faith. Finally, the psalmist says, I have believed it, I have believed it, but I doubt it and I doubt it and I doubt it, but now I know. That means he's been in process. He's been on a journey. He's been on the open waters and he wasn't sure if land was that way, but he kept heading that way in faith. And now he sees a glimmer of the beach and he says, now I know. There's a kind of vindication and proof and celebration. And then verse eight, but we have risen and stood upright. This idea of you standing your ground, feeling the tension within you. And the point is this, it's easy to see something, it's even easy to say something, but it's really, really hard to see something and to say something and then stay in the relationship after you've said it. And this is the part where I think the church has really failed the most. We have been willing to be jerks in the name of Jesus. And it's really quite distasteful, and it's poor strategy. The church is not growing, it's shrinking. You know why? Because people in the culture, in society, feel that the church is holy, but it's not safe. We're willing to speak the truth and see the truth, but we're not willing to be helpful. We speak the truth, but not in love. We are willing to be honest, and then we leave. It's hit and run. Who can't do that? I want to tell you, Jesus hung out with sinners. He was accused of being a drunk because he was willing to see, go and sin no more. He said it, and then he stayed in relationship with these losers, these outcasts, these marginalized, disenfranchised, the least, the last, and the lost. His best friends were tax collectors, uneducated fishermen, prostitutes, lepers, 
All these people that society has cast aside because society was willing to see and to speak, but they didn't stay. But the church is called to see, to say, and then to stay. To hold the tension. To stand upright. To hold ground. Can you do that? Are you able to do that? Are you able to go to a wedding that you're not in support of? Do you know the difference between affirming versus accepting? Do you know what it means to be a safe and holy person? Not just a safe person, not just a holy person. Do you know how not to be so easily threatened or offended or defined by something else or controlling or controlled? Do you know how to hold a biblical ideal and maintain your integrity while practicing biblical love? To bless takes strength and courage and deep truth in love. It's to look at someone you love and you care about and say, I see how things are, but I know how things ought to be. And I will claim to be a resource to you by staying in the relationship with you. I won't break the very thing. I claim to be a resource to you. Church, if you believe you have the light, you have the truth, then do something. Be helpful. Actually do the hard work of loving. Because to bless is to see and to say and to stay. Understanding that apart from God's grace, you are lost also. You are going to die in battle. Now in verse 6, we see uh, that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Verse 9, save, O Lord, may the king answer us in the day of his call. Who is this anointed? Who is this king? David was writing about himself, but he was also writing about the category he represented, a type. And Jesus, who came in the line of David, was the ultimate blessed of the Father. And yet he became the cursed among the cursed, a curse for us. For he hung on a tree. It's by Jesus' curse that we are blessed. That God sees us. He spoke the word Jesus over us. And through Jesus' work on the cross to die for our sins. He does not abandon us. But he stays. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, as the psalmist says, uh, life is a battle, and it's full of trials and tribulation, and uh, it really has the power to break the very best of us. And so we find ourselves beyond ourselves, needing your help, your love, your uh, presence in our life, in our culture, in our society, in our country in our world. We pray you would not leave us to our own devices, but bless us. Bless us, we pray. And the scriptures teach that we are blessed to be a blessing. And we want to be able to bless others. 
Help us to be a broken, humble, vulnerable people who are willing to see a vision of the biblical ideal, who will speak this biblical ideal, and then stay in the relationship so that we can actually be helpful and a vehicle of your blessing in their life. Show us how to do this. We have failed at this. Show us how to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.